Good evening, everyone. Uh, if you were here last Sunday night, I wonder, can you uh, remember the two words that I used to sum up what I shared or what we looked at together? Can anyone remember the two words? Sorry? Consider Jesus. Am I echoing a wee bit? Turn me down a totally wee bit, Paul. Thank you. Consider Jesus, or in, in the NIV, that, that's the, the phrase from the ESV, but from the NIV, the phrase is fix your thoughts on Jesus. And it's actually a direct quote from Hebrews chapter 3, the first verse of Hebrews 3. And we made the point that if we are going to live the Christian life, if we're going to persevere in, in the Christian faith and not drift, which, which is a, a danger, if we are going to endure to the very end and never neglect our salvation, our very great salvation, then here's what we've got to do. We've got to consider Jesus. We've got to stay focused on. We've got to meditate upon. And we've got to apply our minds to Jesus. And to do that well, and to do that effectively, we must ensure that our, that our thinking and our contemplation of Jesus is shaped and influenced by what we read and discover in here. As we consider Jesus, we've got to ensure that what we are thinking and what we're contemplating and what we're meditating upon is influenced by Scripture. It's biblically based but as we consider Jesus as he is revealed in God's word, then a core aspect of this exercise and discipline is to consider carefully, not just about Jesus, but also to consider carefully the words and teaching of Jesus, which kind of brings us to tonight and back to our controversial Jesus series, because so much of what Jesus did say, and so much of what Jesus did teach, and so much of what Jesus did command his followers to do is surprising. It is controversial, so much of it. It raised eyebrows the first time it was shared, it sent heads spinning as Jesus invited people to live very differently, to think very differently, and to behave very differently from the world around them. And so far in this series, as we have thought about some of the controversial sayings and words of Jesus, we have, we have looked at these two in particular. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The invitation to be a Christian involves self-denying on a daily basis and cross-carrying. And that's contentious in our culture, which doesn't want to deny self anything and certainly doesn't want to daily pick up their cross. So this was a controversial saying of Jesus. And then a few weeks later, Alan Wilson was with us and he looked at this classic, you have heard it said, says Jesus, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's controversial. That's highly surprising. And one of the things we've said as we introduced this series is these are the kind of sayings that quite honestly we wish Jesus had never said. 
And yet, if we're going to seriously follow him, if we're going to seriously consider Jesus as the writer of Hebrews tells us to do, then we can't avoid these hard sayings of Jesus. We can't dilute them. And tonight's hard saying that we're going to look at raises another important subject for constant consideration. But again, the subject we're going to look at tonight's a tough one. I know this. I realize it's a tough one for many people here. I realize it's an incredibly tough one for many people in our culture. It brings us to a core Christian value, virtue, and practice. A core virtue and practice and value that, that at one level appeals to many people. It's attractive. And yet at another, it's a core value and virtue that creates and causes all kinds of angst and frustration. And, and the subject that we're going to look at tonight is forgiveness. Now at one level, who doesn't like the idea of this? I mean, most of us want to be forgiven when we mess up, don't we? Most of us want to be forgiven when we do something wrong. We want others to forgive us. We want God to forgive us. But when it comes to us having to do the forgiving, well, that's often a whole other issue. That, that's a stretch. That's a challenge. That's a different kettle of fish. That's annoying. Especially whenever what has been done to us or what's been done against us is so painful and so hurtful. And that's why this subject is so hard and it is so controversial. Because to forgive whenever we have been wronged takes incredible courage. But before we hear one of the things that Jesus controversially said about forgiveness, I want to take a, a kind of step back and think about forgiveness generally. Because it does have, you know, just when you say, it, it does have such a good vibe to it, as someone says. It appeals broadly. I'm not saying it's practiced broadly or widely, but it certainly does appeal. And whenever we meet someone or we see someone forgive another person, we're impressed by that. And for years, and even more so in recent years, psychologists and others have, have done a lot of research around this area, and they've discovered that, that people who forgive report an improved quality of relationships and a higher commitment to relationships than those who refuse to forgive. Plus, forgiveness is actually deemed to be good for our health. One relatively recent study revealed that a sustained pattern of unforgiveness, a refusal to forgive, can actually result in poor health. And in many ways, we know that. We don't need studies to reveal that to us. I mean, harboring grudges, seeking revenge, holding on to stuff, holding on to hurt, that eats away at us. That gets to us. That isn't good for anyone. Came across... Uh, this magazine headline a few years ago kind of held on to it. Forgive and let live. Revenge is sweet, but letting go of anger at those who have wronged you is a smart route to good health. Forgiveness is good for you, it would seem. 
I also came across this interesting quote during the week, forgiveness is the tofu of the soul, a healthy alternative to the red meat of anger and vengeance. That's actually not helpful, okay? Because who seriously likes tofu, right? <laughs> so just forget that one, okay? We'll just stick with this one, forget that one. But as, as, much, of, as much as the message out there is that, that forgiveness is really good for you, and as I say, because I've done lots of, of studies on this and, and said it is good for you, but it's the how. How do you become the kind of person who wants to forgive? How do you become the kind of person who is willing to forgive? Well, that isn't so clear from the reports and the studies. In fact, if you read some of the reports and studies, what they say regarding how you do this is sheer determination. Sheer determination. That seems to be the main answer. But you know something? See if that's it. If it's left to me, I don't know about you, but if it's left to me, if it's down to me, if it's down to my willpower and my self-resolve to forgive, then I'm not sure I'm ever going to do it, if I'm honest. Or I'm certainly not sure it's going to come easily. I'm not going to become the kind of person who regularly forgives others or who has any desire to do it if it's just left to me. Because to forgive is hard. It's actually unnatural, is it not? It's unnatural to forgive. It's counterintuitive. And therefore, I believe it requires, I believe the ability, the willingness, and the desire to forgive requires an internal change of heart and mind that is only possible whenever you have experienced true and ultimate forgiveness and an internal supernatural change of heart and mind. Which brings us to Jesus. Because it's Jesus who provides that necessary transformation. And then what Jesus does is he changes us internally, changes our hearts and minds. And then calls us to live forgiveness out in the nitty gritty of everyday life and relationships. In our everyday expression of loving God and loving others, he calls us to forgive and to forgive, and to forgive, as we're about to see. You see, it's, it's, it's actually part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian, to forgive. And that's why it's so hard. So what does Jesus say about it? How does Jesus say we do it? Why does Jesus say we should do it? Well, let's turn to Matthew's Gospel. And chapter 18, which is page 985 in the Red Pew Bibles, if you want to follow this. And I want to read some uh, familiar yet somewhat frighteningly controversial words of Jesus. Verses 21, 22 to start with. They're going to be on the screen as well as in front of you there. We know these words. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on the translation you have in front of you. Now, given the context of this, and some of you know this, and if you look up to the verses above this, you'll know the context that this is, this is set into. But given the context, because Jesus has just been speaking about sin in the church, 
from verses 15 to 20. And because Peter inquires here about forgiving my brother and my sister who sins against me, let me ask you a question. Does this mean that we only have to forgive other Christians? Okay. Does this mean, given the context it's written into and spoken into, given the way Peter phrases the question, does this whole subject actually mean that when it comes to it, when it comes to forgiving others, we only have to forgive other Christians? Is the teaching of Jesus only relevant within the walls and the boundaries of this church? Most people are shaking their heads, aren't they? Because the answer is yes and no. I mean, it clearly and definitely applies to our relationships with one another in the family of God, but it's got to go beyond. And I say that based on the rest of the teaching of Jesus about forgiveness, because obviously this isn't the only time that Jesus spoke about this subject. You know this. And we will mention a couple of other times as we go through. Plus, whenever you think of Jesus himself, And those of us, remember, who claim to live in God, we must walk as Christ walked. So we have got to follow the example of Jesus. And when it comes to the example of Jesus around the area of forgiveness, we all know that he forgave all others, even those who tortured and nailed him to a cross. Father, forgive them. They, They weren't his brothers and sisters. So back to the hard-hitting saying of Matthew 18. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you need, you need to forgive time and time and time again. It would seem that Jesus is actually teaching unlimited forgiveness that knows no bounds. Now think about that. this is why this is so hard. Unlimited forgiveness that knows, no, it's not about 77 times. It's not even about 490 times, 70 times, seven. This was clearly Jesus saying, listen, don't keep count, just keep doing it. And I want to suggest to you that's controversial. That's uncomfortable. Now, Peter's initial question is a good one. It's a fair question. How many times, Jesus? I mean, we relate to this question. I mean, Peter has heard Jesus teach on this subject a number of times by the time we get to Matthew 18. Peter has spent a lot of time in the company of Jesus. He sat in on many of the teaching sessions of Jesus that has included teaching around forgiveness. For example, we'll all remember this one as part of the so-called Sermon on the Mount. And this was shocking. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now that's controversial. If I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven. Seems to be what Jesus was saying there. And this, by the way, is is further proof and evidence that this practice 
needs to extend beyond the walls of the church. Because it just says, if you don't forgive others, it's not just about our brother and our sister. You see, Peter knew, I am meant to forgive. I need to forgive. I have to forgive. And Peter was someone, as we all know, who wanted to obey Jesus. That was his heart. But the question he asks here in Matthew 18 is, Jesus, I know I must forgive and I should forgive, but how far do I take this? How far do I push this? And part of Peter's thinking would have been influenced by the general rabbinic teaching and discussion of the time and the culture. Many of you know this already, that that other rabbis in the first century taught that we were to forgive. Does anyone know how often they taught we were to forgive? Three times. Up to three times. That was the general consensus in the culture at the time. And so part of Peter's thinking would have been influenced by that, but wanting to show that he realizes following Jesus is, is really serious, he decides, let's up it a wee bit. Jesus, do we need to forgive up to seven times? That's twice as many as the rabbis plus one. So like, is up to seven times? And actually, as I was thinking about this again, can you imagine forgiving someone seven times? Would that not be amazing in itself? I mean, for some people here to forgive someone who's hurt them once, But to forgive someone seven times would be incredible. Surely, says Peter, there's a limit, there's a cutoff point. Well, Jesus deconstructs Peter's question. And he shows, and and here's, if you like, the headline. I want you to take away, it's more than two words, this one. And I'm taking this quote direct from Steve Timmis because I haven't an original bone in my body. Forgiveness... It's not a question of mathematics, but a matter of the heart. Now, at this point, okay, <laughs> at this point, my mantra, but I'm, I've, I'm determined not to say it, okay? So I'm not going to say it. And if you're here tonight and you have no idea what that's about, ask somebody afterwards, what is my mantra for life? Forgiveness is not a question of mathematics. It's not about how many times and there's the limit and there's the quota We've got to just keep doing it. And to demonstrate this principle and to ground this teaching and to explain what he means, Jesus does what Jesus often does. He tells a story. He tells a parable because he he knows Peter is standing right in front of him. And this comment that he has just made would have blown Peter away. And so Jesus can't leave it at that, and so he tells a story to help Peter and to help the other disciples and to help us and to help anyone who cares to listen, to understand Jesus better so they can try to get, and so Peter can get his head around exactly what he's saying. And so let's listen to the story. It's in Matthew 18, 23 to 35, the verses that follow, but rather than read it, allow me to tell it, because I just love doing that. But you can follow it to make sure like I'm not embellishing it in any way. So here's the story. So a servant owes his king or his master a crazy amount of money. His debt is massive. It's so big. In fact, in the original listeners, 
would have immediately got this. His debt is so big that there is no chance he is ever going to be able to pay it back. And so the king orders the servant to sell everything he has, including himself and his wife and his kids, in order to repay the debt he owes. And the servant, it says, collapses in a heap in front of the king, and he pleads for mercy. He says, Master, give me more time. Please be patient with me, and I will pay everything back. And then the king does something extraordinary. He, he doesn't just agree to a time extension. He cancels the entire debt, and he lets the servant go. Judgment has been suspended Grace has been received, and it's outrageous grace. And again, that would not have been lost on the first listeners. And if the story was to end at that point, it would have been fine. It would have made a point in itself, but the story doesn't end. Jesus keeps speaking, and he says that the servant leaves the king's presence. There's no record of him saying thanks. wonder did he say thank you. But he leaves the king's presence and he meets another servant who owes him a pile of money. And depending on which version of the Bible, you'll see that what he owes him is about the equivalent of a day's wages, which is a lot of money. But again, depending on the version of the Bible you have, you will notice at the bottom that the amount that the servant owed his master, the king, was about 7,000 days' wages. And so immediately the listeners are, are hearing this for the first time and they realize that the amount of money that the servant is owed by the other servant is considerably less than what he owed his master. But then the, the story takes a twist, which is often what parables do, because it says the servant grabs his fellow servant by the throat and he demands payback. And the other servant then turns around to this servant and says, be patient with me. Give me more time, which is exactly what he had said to the king. But even more shockingly, he refuses. And he has his fellow servant that says, imprisoned until he can pay back the debt of a day's wages that he owes him. Well, the people witnessing this, the two servants' colleagues, can't believe what they have just seen. And it says they're furious. And so they go and tell the king what has just happened. And the king recalls his humongous debt-owing servant back in, and he says this. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And, and everybody listening to this story would have known the answer. Yes. Absolutely yes. Of course he should have had. And so then Jesus says, as he finishes this story, that the king, and again, this is controversial, the king then hands the original servant over to jailers to be tortured until he can pay back his debt, which remember, he has never 
ever going to be able to pay back. So that is, this is catastrophic. The story is over. And Jesus then turns around to Peter and whoever else was listening and says these chilling words. This is how my heavenly father will treat you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister were from the heart because the heart. This is how your heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive. Is that not so hard-hitting? You see, forgiveness is not a matter of mathematics. It's got to come from in here. The first servant, you see, had experienced immense grace and kindness and mercy, but he just didn't get it. He didn't fully appreciate it or embrace it, and therefore he felt no willingness, no desire to show grace to his fellow servant. And the point is this. This is the point of the story. This is the whole point around this issue. You see, if we have truly experienced God's unmerited forgiveness of our sins, if our hearts have been impacted and changed by the amazing grace of God, then we will forgive others who sin against us because forgiven people will be forgiving people. Our debt to God is huge. The debt that every single human being owes to God is huge because of our sin. And the fact is, we could never pay it back, no matter how long we had, no matter what kind of time extension we were given, no matter how hard we tried. And yet, the crazy good news of the gospel is that God has canceled our entire debt, wiped the slate clean. We have been totally forgiven because of Jesus. And you know what that is? That is pure and that is outrageous grace. And if we get that, if we really get that, then we will respond in kind to others who don't deserve it. That is what Jesus is teaching. And for many of us here tonight, we sit here as forgiven people. And if we have really got our head, if I have really got my head around what that means and around the outrageous grace of God who's forgiven me because of Jesus, then who am I to withhold forgiveness from anyone? I will practice unlimited forgiveness that knows no bounds. But do I, unlike the servant in the story, do I realize how vast the grace of God is in forgiving my sin? Do I, do I sit at this table 
week after week and realize just how incredible it is that because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, I eat and drink totally forgiven for my dirty, appalling, and awful sin. Do, do I realize that? Because if I do, then I will be enabled, then I will be propelled to forgive others for their dirty, appalling, and awful sin towards me. Now the problem here is, does that mean, because it's certainly not meant to imply, does it mean that what others do do against me doesn't matter? Am I, am I not in danger of standing up here tonight and minimizing or excusing the wrong actions of others? Because you see sin against another person, it can be dreadful. And there are some people here tonight, and we all know some people who have been sinned against and it has left lifelong scars. And so by forgiving another person, are, are we minimizing that? Are we playing that down? Are we kind of saying, oh, it doesn't matter what people do to us, just to bring it on? No. Sin does matter. And being willing to forgive someone does not make light of sin as if it's no big deal. Nothing could be further from the truth. And the reason I say that sin matters is because it matters so much that it had to be punished. It had to be dealt with and to deal with it. The God who created us, the God who loved us, he had to give himself for us in order to cancel the debt that we owed, in order that we could be forgiven, Jesus took the punishment for our sin. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us. Jesus was beaten. He was abused. abused. He was ridiculed. He was even forsaken by his Father in order to bear the sin of the world. Why? Because sin matters. And the minute I think forgiveness implies that some, what someone has done against me isn't important, isn't that painful, isn't that serious, only goes to show that I've never really grasped the awfulness of sin and what it cost the Lord to make forgiveness possible. Forgiveness never trivializes and never condones in any shape or form the wrong, the trespasses, the sin that has been done against us. And so in terms of how do we actually embrace this controversial teaching? How do we practice unlimited forgiveness that knows no bounds? How do I go out of here this evening and forgive, as Jesus says, from the heart? How do I actually do that? Well, in a sense, we come in a full loop to how I started tonight. You just consider Jesus. You know, this morning, Joel shared with us about just the importance of unleashing the Word of God, just ordinary people unleashing the Word of God. And, and, and one of the comments he made, he said, listen, this is not rocket science. And forgiveness is really hard, but you know, it's not rocket science. We just need to consider Jesus. We need to meditate deeply on the kindness of Jesus, our Savior, who has forgiven us for our fast sin through his defining work on the cross. And in a moment, we're going to meet around this table. And can I 
encourage you to take the opportunity. And I know we do it every single week here at Windsor. But can I encourage you to take the opportunity to reflect carefully and intentionally on the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in our sin, God reached down and rescued us. God didn't wait until we got our act together, tried harder, smiled more, sinned less. While we were still dirty, awful, appalling sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for us because of his immense love. And because he did that, we are forgiven. And if we get that, then forgiven people will be forgiving people. The unmerciful servant didn't get it. He had experienced, he had tasted the incredible, unbelievable grace of his master. But then he just went out. And in a sense, through that grace and kindness and mercy back in his master's face because he grabbed someone by the throat and insisted they're imprisoned until they can pay him back. Father, forgive us our sins, teaches Jesus, as we forgive those who sin against us. And I want to suggest that to do that, to be able to pray that with integrity, we need to keep coming back here. We need to keep coming back to the cross that screams outrageous grace, that screams total forgiveness. And so here's the thing. Can I hold a grudge whilst staring at the cross? Can I seek revenge whilst staring at the cross? Can I harbor resentment while staring at the cross? Can I withhold forgiveness from you while staring at the cross? I'm not sure I can. And therefore, once again, think upon the cross where Jesus died and I'm broken inside because he because of his immense love and the grace of God has forgiven me I stand forgiven at the cross forgiven people will be forgiving people